for downloading the sermon podcast for Hope City Church in Riverside, California. For more info about Hope City Church, visit www.hopecityriverside.org. Do me a favor, if you would, and open your Bibles to, I believe it's Exodus chapter 33. We, uh, we just finished, um, we just did two weeks on uh, just a series on hope. We talked about how hope changes everything. You see me moving everything out of my way because I tend to be like the spastic move, swing hand talker, and I don't want to knock stuff over. So um, we just finished two, two weeks on hope, and I, and I just, I was praying. I've known where I was going this week for a few weeks now, um, and, and it's just because I think this, this message I'm excited to share because I think it's vital. I think it's vital right now. Uh, it's certainly vital in my life. It's vital in every Christian's life, um, but I think right now... Not, I'm not even addressing anything specific. I just think right now it's something that maybe the church at large just we need to get, we need to grab a hold of. And, uh, and so if you would, I'm going to actually read a bunch of verses and then I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. But we're going to read the entire chapter of Exodus chapter 33. It's 23 verses. I know it's a lot longer than most people will have you read, but <clears throat> I think it's important to read it all and then we're going to come back and take a look. After we read, we will pray. It says this, the Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I'll send an angel before you and I'll drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff Necked people. Put that on a coffee mug. <laughs> when the people heard this disastrous word, I'll say, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb. Onward. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand at his tent door and watch until he had gone into the tent. And when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Now this is a sidebar, but is it any wonder that God chose Joshua after Moses? Joshua, who was so hungry for the presence of God that he stayed even when Moses left. Verse 12, <clears throat> Moses said to the Lord, See, you, you're saying to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name and have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways, God, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. 
And he, God, said, my presence will go with you, and I'll give you rest. And he, Moses, said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim before you the name of the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Let's pray. Father God, we just, we know that this is your word. This is the living and powerful, active word of God, the word of which you've said, it will not return to you void. The word of which it said that you are alert and active, watching over your word to perform it. And so we don't have to make your word work, but Lord, we do pray that we would have open and receptive hearts to hear your word tonight. God, I pray that we would receive your word without cynicism, without doubt, that we would receive it in faith, that it would be planted deep in good soil in our hearts, that we would bear fruit and become doers of the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. What I want to talk about tonight is the presence of God. I want to talk about the presence of the living God. So what do we mean when we say the presence of God? When we talk about the presence of God, what are we talking about? After all, isn't God always present? Isn't God omnipresent? Isn't he present everywhere all the time? Isn't that one of the core doctrines that we as Christians uphold is that God is always everywhere? In fact, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12 says this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's saying, like, is there anywhere I can go and get away from you? There's nowhere I can go and get away from you, Lord. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is just like light with you. Yeah. Some of, before we get into everything else, some of you just need to know that there's nowhere you can go to get away from God. There's, remember Jonah tried to run from the Lord? Like as if that's possible. As if it's possible to find a place where the Lord isn't. So what are we talking about? Okay, if this is true, that God is present, omnipresent, 
then what do we mean when we say things like, man, the presence of God was so strong last night? What do we mean? When we say, oh, have you ever been in that, maybe it's a conference, maybe it's a church service, maybe it's every time you come here, because it's just so, no, I'm just kidding. Maybe you've been to a, a Christian conference or a something, and you go, there's just something next level about, you just walk in and you go, man, you just know, it's like the presence of God, it's just like tangible. You know what I'm talking about? So what are we talking about? If he is always present, and then there are times where we go, oh, his presence is so strong right now, what are we talking about? I think... We're talking about, I think what we mean when we say that is we mean our awareness of his presence. Because God is always and everywhere present, when we say, man, God was really present there, I think what we're saying is, man, I was really finally fully aware of the presence of God. I think what we're talking about when we say that is our sense or our realization, our perception or consciousness of the presence of God. Which means God is present now, here, in this place, tonight. Are we aware of the presence of the living God right now? Isaiah, you don't have these notes, but Isaiah 6, 3 says that the earth is filled with the glory of God. And Habakkuk 2.14, you don't have that note either, tells us that the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. Did you hear what the scripture just said? It says the earth is filled with the glory of God. And it will be filled with an awareness of the glory of God. I think that's part of our job in evangelism when we're sharing the gospel is to just, it's like, it's like uh, you ever have one of those scratch it things? It's like, oh, there's something there. We just got to scratch through this and show people the God that's already present. If you're a missionary and God sends you to, a, to a, a foreign land, even if they've never heard the name of Jesus, God is present there. You're not bringing Jesus to these people. You're scratching the surface and showing them the Jesus that is already present. The earth is filled with the presence of God, but not with an awareness of the presence of God. And I would say even in the church where we have a knowledge of the presence of God, not an awareness of the presence of God right now. I think when we say, man, the presence of God was so strong, I think we may also be talking about those special moments when God himself chooses to manifest his presence, to reveal his presence, to show himself in a more profound way. I do think, though God is always present, there are times where he decides to just kind of like, you know what I mean? Like just, okay, let me, let me just really manifest my presence among you. Let me just make it so you can't deny that I was present right now. For example, Matthew 18, 20, I don't think that's in your notes either. It says this, where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I'm there among them. Well, what does he mean? Is, is he saying, I wasn't there, but then when you gather, then I'll show up? No. He's saying, I have promised to manifest myself, to reveal myself in a special way when you gather together as a family, like we're doing right now. He said, I have promised to manifest my presence in a special way when you gather as my family. 
I, I um, took a mission trip to Brazil, the Amazon, uh, in like 2006. It was an amazing trip. It was a culture shock, uh, which is what we, we, Diane, you were there. Yes. Was it amazing or what? Okay, so you're, she's going to remember this beautiful moment. We had this moment where we'd done a lot of different things. We were basically living on a boat, sleeping on hammocks, uh, um, going down the Amazon. And uh, we'd stop in different villages, and we'd, we'd do skits and present the gospel and do all kinds of stuff. It was amazing. Um, and, uh, but one of these places we're at, we're in this uh, kind of city square, and we had a big service kind of one night, but there were these, there were these local um, Christians who we'd met there. And we had, we had like two translators for like the whole, what, 18, 19 of us. Um, and so, you know, you didn't, always, you didn't always get the luck of the draw on having a translator with you. You'd be trying to have a conversation or connect with people, and they speak Portuguese and you speak English, and there's no translator. So you're trying to have this moment. Well, we met these amazing local Christians, and we couldn't really communicate with them very well unless one of the, you know, 19-year-old translators was with us. Um, and so I didn't get to have a ton of kind of conversation because the translators were kind of hanging out with the cute girls that were on the trip, and I'll, I'll translate for her. Uh, no, I'm just, I'm being silly. Kind of silly. Anyways, they were neat guys. Uh, so we, we end up in this place, moving right along. We end up, uh, after all this ministry, it was a day of ministry, there was some intense stuff that had happened, some kind of spiritual warfare stuff that was going on. Where, I don't know where you stand on that, but it's real. Uh, read the Bible. Um, and, uh, and so we're there, and we end up like, we know we're leaving now. And we ha- we're done with all our ministry. We end up in this kind of like small, like, it felt like an underground room to me, but it was like one of those things. And they had made us, just out of the kindness of their heart, like grilled cheese sandwiches with an iron. Remember that? They had like taken an iron. There's grilled cheese sandwiches. They're like, I just want to bless you. And I was like, okay, sweet, let's do it. Because I was famished. Um, and, um, but here's what I remember about that gathering in that room. It was like, it felt like it was just dim lighting. It's it been an intense day of ministry after several intense di- days of ministry. I cannot talk to these people. We, can't, we don't share the same language. But we spent maybe an hour, felt like, just embracing each other and weeping because we knew we weren't going to see each other again probably until we were in the kingdom of heaven together. So we're just weeping and we're just holding each other. And the presence of God was so intense in that little dark room between people who couldn't even speak the same language. God manifested his presence in such a profound way that it marked me that here, however many years later, I'm still talking to you about something that happened in this little room. So the question is, when we're talking about the presence of God, is not how do we get God to be present. I think the question we have to ask is, how do we cultivate an awareness of his presence? How can we grow in our experience of the presence of God? Of the, how, how can we grow in our awareness of the God who is right now present? Who is, when you leave here and go home or to wherever you're going, who is there present? to when you go to your job, to when you are with family, to when you're on vacation, to when you're at work, whatever you're, like, that the God who is present there, how do we cultivate an awareness of his presence? I want to give you four things. This is by no means an exhaustive list, but, uh, but I, I will give you four things that I believe are central, that are core to experiencing or heightening our awareness of the presence of God. And the first is this. I think we need to desire his presence. 
We need to desire the presence of God. God was calling Moses to lead his people into uncharted territory, into a land of promise. Look at Moses' response in verses 14 and 15. He said, God said, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. Now pay attention to what Moses says. And Moses said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring me up from here. Where was Moses? Moses was right now, when he said this, in the desert, in the wilderness, in the thing where we talk about. Remember they did 40 years in the wilderness? Moses is in probably one of the worst predicaments of his life. It was miserable. Everybody was complaining. They were saying, it was better when we were slaves. That's how bad this is. And Moses says, if you don't go with me into that wonderful land flowing with milk and honey, that's this land of promise, if you don't go with me there, if you're not present with me there, I want nothing to do with that. He says, if you don't go with me, leave me here. I mean, that was huge to me. Now, maybe that's not like the heart bomb to you that it was to me, but I'm sitting there going like, Moses is saying, I'd rather be in this miserable desert with you than in the promised land without you. He desired the presence of God far more than he desired the promise of God. Which begs a question for me when I read it, it challenges me and makes me go like, would I take the presence of God over the promises? Because what we tend to do is we tend to seek God to get the stuff. We seek God to get the promises. We seek God to get the promised land. And as long as God's going to deliver us to the promise, Moses is saying, you're what I want. You're the promise. You're the prize. And if I'm in this desert wilderness another 40 years, if I'm in this desert wilderness until I die with you, that's a win. To be in the land of promise flowing with milk and honey, that's amazing, but you're not there, that's a loss. That's a loss. I don't want that. I heard somebody one time, they said this is really powerful. They said, close your eyes and don't do this, you don't have to do it. But they said, close your eyes and imagine. And they started describing heaven. Imagine no more suffering, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more sickness, no more strife and quarreling and Facebook drama, no, none of that stuff, okay? Imagine a world, imagine nothing like that. It's, everything's amazing. Oh, you're there, are you there? Just like imagine it. Do you want that? Of course we all want that. And then the, the question was, now imagine that Jesus isn't there. Do you still want it? that our hearts would answer yes. We want you, Jesus, not the stuff. That our hearts would say like Moses, don't even take me there if you're not present. Do we desire the presence of God that intensely? I heard the story, I think it might have been a guy named Francis Chan, but I could be wrong. Um, but somebody was talking about how they had, um, he knew another pastor who had actually been doing some missions work in the Middle East, uh, and his group was captured by the Taliban. Uh, and they found out they were Christians, and they were doing like the typical kind of scenario. They had one Bible, they were ripping it apart, and they're kind of passing pieces off to each other in case they got separated later. They're in a pit, dug in the ground, a pit, 
guarded by the Taliban. And, uh, and, and the Taliban's kind of going on, they realize they're gonna, they say, we're gonna execute you one by one, do this thing. And this guy goes, hey, I'm, I'm the trip leader. Uh, I'm the, the trip leader, uh, uh, execute me first. Another guy goes, uh-uh, I'm a pastor, execute me first. Another guy goes, mm, shut it down. I'm a pastor too, and I'm your elder, so you guys can execute me first. And they did, and they did. They executed the elder pastor first, and they executed a couple others. And then something happened, I don't remember how they got, but they got out, the rest got out. And this pastor is talking to this guy, and he says, he says I just got an email the other day, it's been a, a year or so. He says, I just got an email from one of the ladies that was in the pit with me, and he's telling the story. And he says, you know what she said to me? She says, this may sound weird, Pastor, but do you, do you ever wish that you were back in that pit? And, and this guy goes like, well, that's crazy she said that. He goes, I know, isn't that crazy? He goes, here's what's even crazier. I knew exactly what she meant because I did have moments where I wished I was back there in that pit. And he said, and here's why. That I would know him the fellowship of his sufferings. He says, and I would know him, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. They said Jesus manifested his presence so powerfully in that pit guarded by the Taliban that they now, back in America with all the luxuries and comforts, still had these moments where they went, this is not as fulfilling as that pit guarded by the Taliban because the presence of God was so profound. And the guy said, here's, here's what it breaks down to for me. He says, I would rather be in a pit guarded by the Taliban with Jesus than comfortable in America building my retirement without him. You see, you see, the presence of God is that important. It's that powerful. Look at what King David said, Psalm 27. Verse 4, one thing I've asked of the Lord, one thing, and that I will seek after, and here it is, that I can just dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to just gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He's like, here's, I want one thing in my life. I just want to be with you. I want one thing. I just want to gaze upon your beauty. I think this is why we sin. We don't see Jesus for as beautiful as he is. We go, why would Jesus ask me to give this up? You haven't seen Jesus. When you start talking about, oh, he would never, God's loving and good, he would never require me to let go of this. You, you haven't seen Jesus. You haven't seen Jesus, because that's like saying, that's like saying somebody's standing there with a, a, a bank account for $10 million, and you're like, he, if he's a good bank owner, he wouldn't require me to give up my, this penny to take that. He wouldn't require that I give this up and sacrifice so much for him. You haven't seen him, if that's what you're saying. You haven't seen Jesus for who he is if you're not willing to renounce everything else. You have not had that awareness of his presence. I have not had that awareness of his presence. If I'm not, don't mean, I'm not even on you, on me. I have not had that awareness of his presence if I'm not willing to renounce anything and everything to cling to Christ. That's what Paul's saying. He said, everything I thought was gain, I renounce it. It's like rubbish to me. 
I count it as loss to the surpassing worth and excellence of what? Knowing Jesus. He didn't say getting stuff. He said no, just knowing him, just seeing him, just being with him. It's, I'll, I'll lose everything else. If I lose everything else and gain Christ, I made a good deal. What is the one thing you desire with all of your heart? What is the one thing? If you could boil life down to one desire, one all-surpassing supreme desire above all others, is it the presence of God? And if it's not for all of us, I think we just need to seek him. I think we need to ask him to put that desire in our heart. I know for me, it's like catch me on any given moment. I, I know the right answer to that question. But catch me on any given moment. I'm just like every one of you where I desire all kinds of other garbage. And I start getting caught up in stuff that two billion years from now when we're sipping a lemonade by a living stream of living water, you know? Like, we're not going to care about what drama happened between, you know what I mean? We're not going to care about what our bank account here was like. We're not going to care about our status. We're not going to care what one other human being thought of us. We're not going to care. I'm not going to care. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I got into hiking a couple years ago. I am by no means a hiker, like a, I'm like a novice, I'm like a newbie at best, okay? But I enjoy it because I like the mountains. So I'll go up in the mountains and I'll just get out and there's stuff that, you know, you just can't see it unless you're hiking. And it just does something good for me to get out there walking. It's like endorphins and stuff, it's just good, okay? And breathe in that fresh air and not like exhaust or something. So I'll go out, but I remember the first hike, one of the first hikes I took that was more than like, you know, I don't know, like the first legit hike that I took. I thought it was going to be, we'd mapped it out, and I thought it was going to be about four miles. Which, okay, maybe that's nothing to you, but for me, four miles was like, I got a train for this. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, and so I went, and we thought, okay, we're going to hike in, and there's going to be like a little water source, and we'll be, we have a little, I was like a little outdoor guy, and I had my little like cool like water filter straw deal. I was like, I'm going to drink from the creek, and then I'm going to come back. It's going to be cool, right? So I was going to... And so we went, and here's the problem. It turns out, like, we read our maps wrong. <laughs> and so I only brought enough water for a four-mile hike. And about five miles in, we reached our halfway point, which is where the creek was supposed to be. And there was no creek and I'm out of water because I was just sure that the creek was, right? I'm out of water. So now I hike back five miles without a drop of water, sun beating down on me. I was parched, okay? Have you ever been in that moment where you're so thirsty that literally it stops everything? There's, there's no thinking about, there's no happy thoughts, okay? Every, your toes are screaming for water. Every fiber of your being is like, Give me water now. Everything is focused on how thirsty you are. My feet were literally like, bro, I'm not going to take one more step. Put some water in me. It's like a car that's out of gas. I was, I've never been that thirsty in my life. 
I, I crawled to the car and got, I had extra water there, like a genius, okay? And I, I just remember, it was everything, I, all my, every faculty was focused on water. The psalmist says here, that's how thirsty I am for you, God. Like a deer that's panting for flowing streams. That's how thirsty my soul is for you, God. Now listen to me. That is how thirsty your soul is for God, whether you realize it or not. That is how thirsty your soul, my soul, is for God, whether we realize that or not. So may the Lord give us the same intensity of desire for his presence. I think we need to desire his presence. We need the presence of God more than we need our next breath. I need the presence of God more than I need my next breath. That's truth. Because God could take my next breath and I'm in his what? Presence. I need his presence more than I need anything. And, And you know what's funny? You'll do things out of desire. We're talking about desiring his presence. You'll do things out of desire that you won't do out of obligation. Isn't that true? Let me give you a quick example because I've already gone too long on point number one and we need to wrap this up. I hear the baby's like, okay, it's probably my kids. Um, Okay, so here, here. I'm talking about desiring the presence of God. So when I was a teenager, uh, we, you know, we didn't have a car for a period of time. It was really hot. It was summertime. My mom asked me to walk to the store. Now the store to me was like probably about a mile and a half away. Okay, it's four billion degrees outside, and I was like, ah, I don't, I don't want to do it. I said, it's too far. She goes, okay. She was really cool and gracious with me on that. Two days later, I walked twice that distance to go to my girlfriend's house. <laughs> You'll do things for desire that you won't do out of obligation. Isn't that true? We'll do things out of a desire that we won't do out of, if we go, okay, I'm obligated to seek the presence of God. Okay, that's great, but that's not going to last forever. Do you desire the presence of God? Because if you desire the presence of God, well, then the going is easier. In his book, A Hunger for God, John Piper says this, If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory and presence of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you've nibbled so long at the table of the world that your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. So let's just pray that God would give us a desire for his presence. Number two... Number one was we need to desire his presence. Number two is we need to pursue his presence. Pursue his, it's not just about desiring his presence. It's also about pursuing his presence. Look at Exodus 33 again, verse 7. It says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp, far off from the camp. It was like a hike to go. And they'd set this up, and it was like, it was not a small feat. So they would go and get up and go outside of the camp, far off from the camp, and settle this up to seek the presence of God. Yes, God is present everywhere. He will manifest his presence, but he also calls on us to seek his presence. It's just a biblical truth, Old and New Testament, that God will manifest himself to those who are seeking him. God will manifest his presence to those who are seeking his presence. Let me show you. James chapter 4, verse 8. 
Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, says you sinners. That's all of us. And purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says, draw near to me. Seek me. Pursue me. He didn't say just desire me. It's desire me is intense. It's important. We need to. But what's, what's going to cause us to pursue him? Our desire for him. So we have to have desire in place. But once desire is in place, there is a seeking of the Lord that we need to do. There is a seeking and a hunger for his presence. He, he definitely does call us to, have, to take initiative. Does he chase after us? Yes. And he says, you wouldn't have even called out to me if I wasn't calling out to you. So even our seeking him is motivated by his power. He, he, he empowers us to seek him, but he still calls us to seek him. Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when? When you seek me with all of your heart. There's that, it's seeking and desire right there together. I want you to pursue me with a whole heart. Amen. I've been praying lately that I would serve the Lord with an undivided heart. Because I think what happens is we live with a divided heart. We love the Lord, and then we love a little bit of this stuff. We love the Lord, and then we love ourselves. And we love the Lord, and then we love a little bit of everything else. I've been praying, God, help me to love you and serve you with an undivided heart. We love the Lord, and then we love how we appear before people, and so we don't want to upset anybody when they're upset with us. So I don't say what, I don't speak the truth of God's word because I'm afraid people are going to come at me crazy. Because I value and love approval from man more than I love God. So do we desire the Lord, and are we seeking the presence of the Lord? This is an amazing promise. This is if we seek him with our whole heart, we will find him. He says, I will be found by you when you seek me with your whole heart. If you're not experiencing the manifest presence of God, this is a beautiful promise for you, for me. If we will seek him with the whole heart, he says, you will find me. He's not going to dangle that carrot in front of us and never let us. He says, if you seek me, you will find me. Amen. He will manifest his presence to us. Now, how do we seek him? I don't have time to go through all these scriptures, but scripture talks about a lot of things. We seek him in prayer. We seek him through repentance. Yes, repent of our sins and put our faith in Jesus. This idea of a Jesus that walks along and pats us all on the butt and says we're good how we are is not biblical. It's not biblical. We serve a Lord and Savior who loves us enough to not leave us in our sin. So we seek him through repentance. We seek him through praise. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. We praise him. It's why we sing. It's what's singing. Listen, praise and worship is more than songs, okay? It's lifestyle. But it also includes songs and singing. And that's why we lift up the name of Jesus. To take our eyes off of ourselves. To seek him and his presence. It says, seek me with all of your heart. So let's allow our desire from God to move us to action. To actively pursue his presence. Number three. If we want to experience, or if we want to heighten our awareness of the presence of God, we must desire his presence, we must pursue his presence, but number three, we need to honor his presence. We need to honor the presence of God. Look at verses 18 through 20 in Exodus 33. Moses said, do you hear the cry of Moses' heart? He says, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. But, you, you, Moses, you're asking for something you can't have right now. If I gave you what you're asking for, it would kill you. 
Moses, if you saw me in full force, it would kill you. In this condition that you're in, in this state that you're in, if I just manifested myself to you completely, it would kill you. For man shall not see me and live. What does that tell us about the God that we serve? He's not just some dude. He's not just like your neighbor or some guy or somebody you get to get in. It's, he's, not a, he's not like that. He's completely other. Holy, sacred, set apart, separate, to be revered. Here's some proper responses to the presence of God. Trembling. Awe. Falling on her face in worship. Wonder. Reverence. Holy fear. Where is that? Where is that in our safe little modern Christianity? Where is that? Where everybody's a critic. Where is that when everybody's the genius who knows everything that everybody else should be? Where is, where's that humility? Where's that trembling at the word of God? Where's that trembling and that, that awestruck reverence at the presence of the Lord? Where is it? I'm convinced we haven't seen him. Because if we'd seen him, we'd have some trembling, some holy trembling, some reverence, some deep humility before the Lord. In the Old Testament, there's this guy, uh, there's these two guys, Nadab and Abihu. And they, they were Aaron's sons. Aaron was the priest. He's Moses' brother, right? Now, God had given specific instructions about who could perform services in the sanctuary and how to perform them, what they could do and how to do it. Aaron, the priest, Moses' brother, had two sons, Nadab and Abihu, and they had grown, we see, comfortable and complacent with the presence of God. They lost their reverence for God, and they began to enter his presence without a holy fear and reverence, doing things they were unauthorized to do just assuming that God was going to let their disrespect and irreverence slide. Look at Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer, they were not authorized to do this, and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, directly disobeying the word of the Lord, which he had not commanded them to do. They were not allowed to do this. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses and Aaron, then Moses said to Aaron, now Moses says this to Aaron, whose sons just got torched by fire. He said, this is what the Lord says. Among those who come near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. You go, oh, now, now I know what some people want to do is they want to come behind stories like this and explain to us why the Bible doesn't mean what it says. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, in his grace and his goodness, which is, which is there to lead us to repentance, he, the New Testament, we go, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. You know the context of that statement? He's saying, don't take his goodness for granted. He's saying he's good to you so that you will come to repentance. But believe and trust that there is coming a day 
Read the whole Bible, okay? Now, I, I would be remiss to not preach the truth to you and tell you that God is still a holy God. He's still a holy God who will not long let disrespect slide. Who will not long just pat us on the butts and act like everything's okay. Hey, just stay how you are. I love you just how you are. Cool, you're good. No. Our God is holy, worth reverence and awe and respect. He says, I must be regarded as holy. We are told to come boldly before the throne of God. We are nowhere in the scriptures told to come without reverence. We are told to come boldly, but never told to come without reverence and honor and respect. God says, if you want to come near me and experience my presence, you must regard me as holy. I'm convinced many of us are just not experiencing the manifest presence of God because we just don't honor his presence. The Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. Our Father, yes, yes, he is our Father. Let that, please let that put an image in your mind of Daddy. Okay? Please picture a daddy who loves his kids and lets them jump up into his arms. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, sacred, set apart, be your name. Yes, he's our Father, our loving, good daddy. He's also the God that spoke the universe into existence with his breath. says, heavens are the work, the heavens are the work of his fingers. The stars that we marvel at and are in awe of, God finger painted them. It says, he says, he measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. The waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand. Can this God be trusted? Should this God be obeyed? He's a great God. He's almighty God. We're only breathing because he allows it. Scripture says he gives life and breath to all things. So this, as we said last week, if you've been breathing this whole time, it's because it's a gift from an almighty God. It's all over scripture. That's one story, but all over. Uzziah steadies the cart. Killed before the Lord because he disobeyed the command of God. New Testament. You go, that's all Old Testament. New Testament. Ananias and Sapphira, they lie to the Holy Spirit about how much money they got for them. What happened to them? Listen, the fact that God shows grace should, is not the rule. It's saying his goodness, he's holding back. He's holding back his wrath and goodness to lead us to repentance, not so that we could get comfortable and go, oh, he's never going to bring punishment. Of course he's going to. Read the book of Revelation. When people go, oh, Jesus isn't like that. He's just nice. He's a good guy. He's not a meanie. I go, what Jesus are you talking about? What, Je- are you, what Jesus are you talking Yeah, of course Jesus is good. Of course he's love and he's grace and mercy and truth. That's all true. Yes. Yes. But you're certainly not talking about the Jesus that Revelation shows us coming back in a robe dipped with blood with a sword coming out of his mouth. Like that's, you're not talking about that Jesus. What Jesus are you talking about when you act like, like, when we act like our sins are not a big deal? It's a big deal. Every sin in my life, I'm not even, I'm not even talking about you now. 
Every sin in my life that I think is little is huge before a holy and perfect God. It's not a joke. It's not a little thing. It's not to be embraced or allowed or tolerated. It's not. It's to be renounced for the sake of Christ. Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. They're both true. Father and hallowed, they're both true. God is love. Yes, he is. God is an all-consuming fire. Those are both New Testament. God is love. God is an all-consuming fire. Scripture says, consider the goodness and severity of God. That's New Testament. Consider both the goodness and the severity of God. It's all true. Let's not get so, here's all this point is to, not to make us feel like, I hope there is some trembling, actually. What's going to happen is some of you might just get angry with me because you don't like that version of Jesus. That's the biblical version of Jesus. Read it cover to cover. Okay? Let's not get so comfortable with his presence that we lose our reverence. That we lose our awe. We need wonder again. We need to see him like Isaiah saw him, high and lifted up, and then have the same response Isaiah had. Woe is me. I, I, I am a man of unclean lips. And then allow him to purify us as he did with Isaiah. Okay, so we must desire. I've gone way over. I know, I'm so sorry. We need to desire the presence of God. Oh, Lord. Okay. If we want to heighten our awareness of the presence of God, I think we need to desire his presence. And if we don't, let's just pray that he'll give us a desire. We can't conjure it up on our own. We need to pursue his presence. We need to honor his presence. And finally, number four, we need to enjoy his presence. We need to enjoy his presence. Exodus 33, verses 15 through 19. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, Moses speaking to God, if your presence won't go with me, don't bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? Other translations say, how will it be known that you're pleased with me? How will I know that you're pleased with me? How will other people know that you're pleased with me? Unless you're with me. I and your people. I love this. It says, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth? What makes the Christian distinct from every other person on the face of the earth? The presence of God. What makes this meeting distinct from like, I don't know, some other club that meets in this city? What makes this any different? It should be the presence of God. Amen. That's what he's saying. What makes us distinct from all the people on the earth? Your presence. It's your presence. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you've spoken, I'll do. For you have found favor in my sight. Other translations say, I, for I am pleased with you. I am pleased with you. And I know you by name. He goes on to say, I'll make all my goodness pass before you. All of my, he says, I, because I'm pleased with you, I'm going to manifest my presence to you. I'll make all my goodness pass before you. So yes, we need this holy awe and reverence. We also need to understand that the Lord wants to display his goodness to us. <clears throat> he's pleased with you. If you're his child, he's pleased with you. Even when my kids screw up, I'm, pl I'm pleased with them as my kids, who they are. They never stop being my kids. 
You with me? My son has never screwed up, and I go, now you're not my son. In fact, in fact, when I, I told, just yesterday we told him to take out the trash. He didn't do it. Here's what, when I go, Elijah, you didn't take out the trash. He, he didn't come in and go, Dad, will you be my dad again? He, he never thinks to say that. He never thinks to say that. He knows I'm his dad. He didn't say, Dad, will you still love me? Will you please still love me? He doesn't worry about that. I'm his daddy. He knows I'm going to love him. He knows I'm pleased with him. He knows I delight in him, that I love him, that I, there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. I would die for him. That's the God that is your father. There's nothing he wouldn't do for you. He would die for you. He did die for you. So he says, how will I know that you're pleased with me? God says, I'm going to manifest my presence to you so that you'll know that I'm pleased with you. Did you catch that? Some of you tonight need to experience the presence of God. Not, maybe, maybe you're on the other end. Maybe you are constantly trembling at God and never experience his joy. Maybe you're constantly afraid that God wants to bring the hammer on you and you need to experience his presence because you have to be convinced that God is pleased with you. I pray that he would pour that out on you tonight. I pray that your heart would just be, just be, blown wide open by the truth that God is crazy about you. If all you, feel is, if all you feel is scared of God and you never feel his pleasure towards you as a daddy who loves his child, you need to experience the presence of God. Because I think both will happen to you. When we experience the presence of God, yes, we're going to have a deep reverence and awe and respect and honor and fear. And we're going to be more convinced than ever that he loves me. They're both going to be true at the same time. I'm going to have a deep awareness of my sinfulness and his holiness and a deep sense of his love and grace and mercy that never fails. And so we're not just called to honor his presence. We are called to enjoy his presence. Is he a God to be held in holy fear? Yes. Is he a God to be enjoyed and played with? And I think God's funny. I I think God has a great sense of humor. I think God has done things in my life that have served no other purpose than to go, kid, I love you. Here you go. Here's a little blessing. He's nuts about you. You need to have that deep in your spirit. If you don't have it, I pray that you get it tonight and that it never goes away. I pray that you get something inside of your soul that is convinced that God loves you. So that even when he says no to you, you know it's because he loves you. So that even when he calls you to renounce other things and you respond because of his holiness and because of his goodness, you go, oh, I'm going to respond because he deserves all of my obedience and because I know whatever I'm giving up, he's about to pour it on me something good. It's because of his awe and reverence and because of his goodness that we obey the Lord. God is great and powerful, but he's also good And he wants you to enjoy his... Imagine if God was just great and almighty, but not good. That's the view of God many have, though. God is just great and powerful and sending lightning bolts and just wants to just destroy... They don't have any idea of his goodness. No idea of his goodness. Maybe it's you tonight. Maybe you have every idea of his wrath, but no idea of his goodness. We need both, guys. If we're in the good camp, God's just good. He's never going to, there's never any judgment. There's never any whatever. Man, we've got a skewed view of God. But if we're in the judgment camp and God is all judge and not daddy, 
who wants to hold me and encourage me and bless me. And, and if we don't understand both, we have a messed up view of God. And the game changer is his presence. So when he manifests his presence, I am aware of his holiness and aware of his goodness. What does it, what does it look like to experience his goodness? He says, verse 14, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. As a child of God, his presence will give us rest. Not anxiety and terror and, you know, just constantly living scared of him, running from him. It's not, that's not it. That's different than reverence. God wants us to enjoy him. Look at Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. This is the last scripture verse for those who are like your butts are tired, okay? Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. Like, so understand that outside of the presence of God, fullness of joy cannot be found. Moments of what we think is joy can be found, maybe. Little, little happinesses in this life. We can have those fullness of joy, eternal fullness of joy. That's only found in the presence of God. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You mean God wants me to experience joy and pleasure? Yes. Yes. That's what he said. And it comes in his presence. It comes in his presence. We think God's trying to keep us from everything good. He created man, put them in what? The Garden of Eden. Eden. What does Eden mean? It means pleasure. God created mankind and put him in the Garden of Pleasure. And we go, oh, God's a cosmic killjoy trying to keep me from everything pleasurable. God isn't trying to keep you from pleasure. He's trying to keep you from fake pleasure that will turn his head and bite you. He's trying to keep you from fake pleasure that promises something it can't deliver that will, that will lead us straight to hell, I'm telling you. Temporary pleasures, fading pleasures, eternal, true fullness of joy and pleasure, that's only found in the presence of God. And he's trying to give you all of that. He's trying to pour that out on you in buckets. He's not trying to keep you from pleasure. He's trying to give you eternal pleasure. He's trying to give you eternal joy. That's why we renounce everything in this world. That's why we renounce our desires. That's why we renounce our sins. That's why we renounce everything else, because we see the thing, we see him for who he is, and we see what he's trying to get to us. When we see that, we go, oh, why am I holding on to this? I don't care how intense it feels to let it go here. I do care how intense it feels to let it go. Okay, of course. But I'm saying, when we see him, and what he's trying to give, we go, oh, okay, of course, it makes sense. I got to end, I'm so sorry. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. If it's good and perfect, he wants you to have at it. If he says no, it's because it's not good and perfect. Though it promises to be. And James, James writes, apart from you, I have no good thing. Everything we want and need, truly, is found in the presence of God. Joy, peace, hope, pleasure, acceptance, rest, refreshment, whatever. You name your need, it's found in the presence of God. For eternity. For eternity. The Westminster Catechism, I won't try to explain what that is to you, but it says this, I love it. Man's chief end, that is the chief goal of man's life, man's chief end is to glorify God 
and enjoy him forever. Yes, we live to glorify him. And in glorifying him, we find the deepest joy forever. I think if we'll learn to truly desire his presence, pursue his presence, and honor his presence, we will enjoy his presence in an unprecedented way. This is my most earnest prayer for us as a church. As we move forward into all that our glorious God has for us, I pray that the presence of God would be our greatest desire, that his presence would be our greatest pursuit, that his presence would be our greatest honor and our greatest joy. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be captivated by you. Not that we would just nibble and have a fleeting sense of your presence, but Lord, that we would live um, every day and every moment of every day with a conscious, deep awareness of your presence. Father, that we would desire you, pursue you, honor you, and enjoy you. I pray, God, that you would pour out your presence every time we come together in just a special way. I pray, God, that you would manifest your presence to us and our families and our homes and our workplaces, that we would have just that deep and abiding sense that you are with us and that you love us and that you're worthy of all of our obedience and worship and praise. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.